Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Michael Galansky. He is a documentary filmmaker, an artist, and a photographer based out of North Carolina. He recently just released the documentary All the Rage, which is about the one and only Dr. John Sarno. We had a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm just going to jump right in. Here we go. I'm good. I'm really um, excited to talk to you. I, you know, thank you so much uh, for sharing your video with us through uh, Joseph Schwartz. That was really, man, what a special documentary that was. That was really, (laughs) you know, because um, I've been following John Sarno's work for a long time because I'm a uh, massage therapist and, you know, emotional pain is something that I deal with literally every day. Yeah. So um, it's also uh, really important to explain it in such a way that doesn't sound like woo-woo is the best word that I can describe because, you know, as a therapist in that profession, there's, that's associated with us quite a bit. And so if somebody comes in and you're like, oh, your low back pain has an emotional component to it, then people are just like, no, I want to go see somebody else, you know? Right. And so... Um, yeah, that was really important to put that documentary out and just to watch that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um so- I, you, when you said that you, you deal with emotional pain every day, it made me think about this idea that, um, it must be very difficult for you to then not take some of that with you. Right. You know, take it some, some of it into your own body. If you're constantly, you know, the, the energy of it, it, you know, that sounds woo, but it's like, if you're dealing with people who are offloading all this energy and kind of, it, it goes to this idea of the difference between sympathy and empathy. A lot yes. of people, times people want sympathy, which means they want you to take their energy from them, take that pain from them, rather than empathy, which would be more of like helping them to, to feel heard without having to take it. Correct. And yeah. so that is, um, it's really important to understand that, especially in my profession, because you really have to be on top of that. And that's why it's exhausting sometimes, especially <laughs> yes. if, I'm, if I'm really busy. Because some people that come in, it is a true muscle dysfunction yeah, or whatever well, it is, inflammation it, or whatever. But It's always a true muscle dysfunction. Is, the right. question is, where is, what, what's causing it? Right. You know? And so, so what I mean by that then is there's sometimes where, you know, they sprain their ankle and then they just walked funny for a couple months and now their low back hurts and that's easy. But right. a majority of the time there is um, an emotional component to that. And then if I'm not in a place where I can handle that, then it just, I'm exhausted and worn out for like two or three days in a row, you know, because I just took that full brunt of whatever that they were um, projecting you know, right. so, um, and it's really, one, so it's funny because you have to figure out ways to kind of explain that to people, you know, right. so like if somebody comes home and they had a really bad day and they uh, got stuck in traffic and then somebody gently rear-ended them and then it just becomes a thing, as soon as they walk in the door, you're like, Bleh. like it's, they're projecting it at you, you know, and so. Yeah, and they don't, they don't even know it and they don't intend it. And right. so. And because they don't know it, it's difficult to talk about. But let's roll back and for a second, I'll just explain what the movie is. So yes. Well, was listening knows. So yeah. let's explain who you are first and what you yeah. do because, um, you know, you're, um, you're about to be really well known, especially in my profession, mm-hmm. uh, because of this movie. But let's just explain to people who you are and then what the movie is and what it's about. 
Right, so I'm, my name is Michael Galinsky, and I'm a filmmaker. And I made a film with my wife, Suki Holly, and my partner, David Balinson, um, about Dr. Sarno. But it's also a very personal film because my family has a long history with his work. My dad was a psychologist who, um, who almost died of an ulcer when I was young. And I actually found that he almost died of an ulcer before that, before I, before I knew him or was, or was, co or was cognizant of it. Um, and then he overcame that and he had a fender bender just like you described, we were all in the car. I mean, I was little, um, I must've been in third or fourth grade. It was a nothing. It was like someone went bang in the back of the car, we were fine, but then he got whiplash, terrible yeah. whiplash for years, but he was also a psychologist. Yeah. So when someone gave him Dr. Sarner's book, it totally made sense and it went away. Um, and after that, he started giving the book to everybody, but he really suffered with this back and neck pain for four or five years, maybe six years of my childhood, and then it was gone. Um, and it stayed gone until he retired about 30 years later. And that, you know, so what Dr. Sarno talks about is this idea that there are people who are goodists. They um, take, they have a sense of responsibility for others, which can be enraging. They still feel like they have to do this thing, but it makes them angry, right? And, but they also feel like they can't express that anger, so they pull it in and then it explodes out at times, but it can also go inward and cause pain. And the pain, as Dr. Sarno says, can be looked at, well, he, he says it's a distraction mm -hmm. from those painful emotions. You could also frame it, though, as it's a message from your body to pay attention to those emotions. Right. So everything really becomes more metaphorical than factual. There's no one way to deal with this. But the very simple idea that the last line of our movie is, um, it all comes down to one simple idea, that the mind and the body are intimately related. Yes. That's it. That's the whole story. And if you can hold that as a truth, the one truth that you would take from the movie, that's really the only truth you need from the movie. Then you can figure out how to use that in your own life for your own work to help other people see it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have a, one of my favorite quotes uh, from a friend and a uh, mentor of mine, Dr. Perry Nicholson, is that the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you. Right. So when you're like, why is this happening? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's <laughs> just yeah. And then uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about it as uh, thoughts are the language of the mind and emotions are the language of the body. And so um, it's really funny, especially in my profession, if you sit there and listen to people to listen to what they're saying, then they use a lot of metaphors for what's going on mm -hmm. in their bodies. Like that guy's a pain in the neck. You know, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like, right you know, all these different things that people say all the time. And then it starts to make sense. Well, why are you, why are you so focused on that guy? Like, what's his problem? Why is he giving you this neck pain? You know what I mean? So then people yeah. start to figure it out. Um, and, you know, the way that uh, our mutual friend, Joseph Schwartz explains it in his education course is that there's an emotional response to an event. And the pain that you're experiencing is taking energy away from that emotion and placing it somewhere else that's easier to deal with, mm -hmm. which is a way that or, or, or we think it's easier to deal with. Right. Over because we've set up a barrier to feeling that thing. So we've created that difficulty of feeling it. Right. And that's a way that John, uh, John Sarno explains it as well, yeah. is that your low back pain is quote unquote easier to deal with than the trauma that is causing it. Right, or we, we perceive it to be. And right. once we can realize that that trauma, and, and this is the interesting thing, like people hear the word trauma and then they think of some massive event usually. But right. everybody's trauma comes from a wide range of things. It could, it could literally be being denied something they felt like they needed very badly when they were young, when they were four and they had to have something. To have that denied to them could be very tra traumatizing. Right. And that does, that's not to belittle anyone's trauma. Everyone's trauma is the thing that they're dealing with. And when we start to compare and contrast them, it's meaningless because then we then, we minimize our own traumas and that keeps us from being able to realize, oh, if I just turn and look at that thing that seems so scary, it's not so scary. Right. And so it's also the way that we perceive the world. So the way that you perceive the world now is a lot different than the way that you perceive the world at four years old. And so right. something- last week. <laughs> right. So, and it all, it's all based on your experience level. Right. So like, yeah. you know, um, when I was five years old, we watched Ghostbusters and then I went to sleep and then I had a nightmare. And when mm -hmm. I woke up from that nightmare, I 
was going to go up to my parents' room. But on the way up, I looked down the hallway and I saw what I perceived to be a ghost. Mm -hmm. And so then I had to make a decision if I wanted to stay in my room or go up to my parents' room. Either way, it was felt unsafe to me. So then that was traumatizing. Right. You felt you trapped. Know? Right. And yeah. so that was a trauma for me at five years old. But my right. current self is like, well, that's dumb. Why would you even be scared of that? You were probably still in a dreamlike state, even though you were right. awake and walking around. And then you looked down and saw this thing that you perceived to be a thing, but it wasn't really a thing. But my five-year-old self was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That was scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so then it's about having empathy for your five-year-old self. And instead right. of dismissing it, saying, you know, almost comforting that five-year-old self, because we hold all those selves in ourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we hold all those selves in ourself. That's awesome. Yeah. Because you're an amalgamation of all of your experiences, right? Well, that's what your brain is, right? It, it's a computer and the hard drive starts to fill up. And so it puts things farther away in another drive and that it's harder to reach and you have to kind of go searching for it. But if you search for it, you can find it and then you can, you know, control alt delete it. <laughs> right. And so the problem um, then is you have to go and find it sometimes. And a lot of people don't want to do that because some of that stuff is truly scary, you know? And so that's like one of those things where you're like, well, I don't want to think about that right now. Well, but the um, other thing is, I think some people like, you know, cause I end up talking to a lot of people who had pain and are trying to figure out Sarno and, and it's interesting. There's one guy I've been talking to a lot recently and I would say he's a sympathy seeker, right? So he's complaining a lot and saying, I can't get this. And I think the diagnosis is wrong. And I'm, I'd say, so, you know, is that serving you? Is that helping you? Like, cause you're expressing a lot of rage. He says, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Well, the two are the same, really. There are, there's no difference. Frustrated means I'm refusing to acknowledge that I'm aiming it in any direction. I'm just shooting it in every direction yeah. and rage is that I know who I'm mad at. Right. But in this case, it's, well, what's that thing that's coming up to, is that serving you to be angry or frustrated? Is that helping you solve the problem? No, it's not. And um, most people don't want to hear that. But if you really listen, you say, yeah, that's what, what does that mean for me? And how can I change my reaction to the world? How can right. I change my reaction? And, and how can I learn to respond better? And actually the more you, step away from a situation, breathe it out, and then um, reapproach it, you're able to respond better. Right. And so a lot of, uh, a big part of my job is helping people with stress management. And so I tell them that, um, ironically, cigarette smokers have the best form of stress management. When they're stressed out, angry, frustrated, they go outside and stand in the sun for 10 minutes and take big, deep breaths. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that's them stepping away from that situation you know, unfortunately, they have a cigarette in their hand, but they're doing what you need to do. Right. But they can also learn to just replace that, continue to do the same action without having to do the negative aspect of it. Right. Which is what I tell people to do. So whenever you're feeling this way, just step away into a different environment that's you obviously causing it. Right. Yeah. And because, you know, we have, uh, we have all these associations with those events that cause trauma too, which is what the word triggered means, essentially. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're not just triggered all of a sudden that's that's something that was in there before and that's something that you've experienced before mm -hmm. and so when that trigger happens and you react the way that you react you're reacting to that past event right and so it's just we're we're such that just a complicated species because we can we we are very predictive and we're right. very and we can so we can predict you know like there was that really important part I thought in your documentary where you had your daughter going to just get a shot. Mm -hmm. And so she was predicting pain and she was, you know, um, initiating a stress response before anything ever happened, you right. know? So like, you know, there's uh, something to be said for that. Like if you can, you know, expand that out to where, you know, if people hate somebody at their job and then there's, they have like, Oh God, I got to go to work on Monday or whatever it is, you know, that can be this huge thing. Or if you, uh, so here's the one that um, I experienced recently is there was a guy that was, he was a, a bully for me the whole time that I was growing up. And, you know, he recently reached out to me because he was having shoulder pain. And I was like, Oh God, I got to help this guy. But I only had this memory of him from back then and he was a bully based off of his own trauma and his own life. Right. 
Right. And, you know, but then I had an association with him and I had to work really hard on setting that aside so that I could actually help him as a human instead of treating him as the bully. And then hopefully what happened is that actually shifted your perception of him and he doesn't, you don't have to hold on to that fact that he's a bully because like you, he's changed. It's funny because I, you know, I think um, Twitter is just terrible with that. (laughs) You know, I saw something today, a woman had posted something about, oh, this guy who was, you know, made fun of me for being a dork 20 years ago, just slipped into my direct messages and asked me out on a date. Well, screw him. And it's kind of like, so you've changed and you know that about yourself but you don't want to see that this person might have changed. You're making no space for him to have evolved, you know, this person who was, was stating this stuff. And I thought, gosh, that's so dark. Right. Yeah. And like, so we want to see ourselves as evolving, but not allowing others to evolve around us. We want to keep them stuck in that place that they were. Right. And you know, the reason, the reason why he was acting that way towards her was because he probably liked her back then. Yeah. And that's, you know, didn't like, have the means to communicate it and felt, um, felt weak himself. Like, I mean, bullies are people who feel weak. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, yes, we're so weird. And I just, <laughs> well, <laughs> we we're just, we're just backwards and behind. And once <laughs> right. we start to realize it, we can start to address it. Right. And so, man, hold on. I'm sitting with that. That's really, that's really interesting. So then you start to, to watch human behaviors and start to see that that they're all just doing the best that they can based off of the information and the situations that they're in. That is so key because that's what empathy is. Empathy right. is recognizing that the person you're dealing with is doing the best that they can as were your parents. Right. And maybe 85% of the time it wasn't good enough, but how do you expect anyone to do better than the best that they can? Right. Now, once you recognize it, and you have more empathy for them and you, and you put more less judgment on them, they actually start to do better. And I had a really profound experience with that. Um, Eckhart Tolle's book, the, um, the, a new earth, uh, Gabor Mate, who's in the film, I wrote him about something and he said, you should read this book, uh, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. And I did while I was on a trip with my mom, who was very anxious and, um, and difficult to deal with and, and controlling. Yeah. But when I read it and I really shifted on the plane, I was just shifting towards an empathy mindset. God, it must be so hard to be that anxious. Right. And whereas before I'm very resistant to it because it's overwhelming to me. But when I stopped resisting it, when we got to the airport and you know, we're renting the car and I was like, yeah, it's going to be fine. When she expressed all this anxiety about it, rather than being like, it's going to be fine. She was like, oh, okay. And the whole trip was fine. <laughs> the whole trip, she was because she felt heard, she felt listened to, she felt not that I'd taken it on, but that I was making space for her to be anxious. She had less reason or need to be anxious because she felt taken care of. Yeah, which is really interesting. So then, you know, I use, um, so uh, Tony Robbins has uh, two questions that he asks a lot and it helps you figure out a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so one of them is, um, out of both your parents, whose love did you crave the most, your mother's or your father's? And so they both loved you because you made it to adulthood, right? And so, but which one did you crave the most? And then the second question is, who did you have to be for that parent? And I think that if you figure that stuff out, then that's really a big driver into who you are as a human being and why you got this way. And, you know, and then I was... um thinking about that just the other day. And then I thought, well, I'm fortunate enough to have both my parents alive. So I instead of just, it, yeah. right. So instead of creating that assumption, let's just ask what they wanted for me. Mm-hmm. And they both wanted it to be really simple. So my mom said, I want you to be happy and healthy. And my dad said, I wanted you to be happy and safe. And then I'm like, God, we're working so hard towards these perceptions of what we think that our parents want. And then it just spirals out of control into this big, huge thing. Like I had a client who um, has debilitating back pain and I started, you know, talking to her about it and I asked her those questions and she said, well, you know, I crave my mom's love the most. And I'm like, who did you have to be for your mom? I had to be perfect. And I'm like, well, nobody's perfect. You know, right. like I use the example, like, you know, I'm 38 years old. I've been eating three meals a day. 
and I still bite my own face. Like, how does that, you know, <laughs> nobody's perfect. Like I should, every time I'm like, God, I've been practicing for a long time. I shouldn't be biting, <laughs> you know? And so it's, uh, it's, we just have this, if we just try to understand where other people are coming from, and like we said before, just understand that they're doing the best they can, you know, because like you're a parent, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I see all the parents around me yeah. and that are my peers, and they're just trying to figure it out every day. Like, yeah. you know, and if, your parent, if you make it into adulthood, then your parents killed it. You know what I mean? Because you're going to have some stuff from your parents because, you know, a lot of those emotions can be inherited as well, which is really interesting. Well, they're, both, they're in your DNA and they're yeah. in your experience. So right. It's difficult. Right. And so once you've um, reached like a certain point and you understand that, oh, well, this feeling of abandonment isn't mine. It, I inherited it from one of my parents who thought that they were abandoned by their parents at one point, then, you know, then you can start to feel compassion and empathy for them, like you were saying yeah. earlier. Right, right. And then, even then, it's not like, um, everything's perfect. It's no. just that, you know, then you're on a pathway to be able to address the things when they come up, rather than become um, fearful and overwhelmed. So a lot of times you'll have back pain and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be what I'm dealing with for the rest of my life. And that fear just drives the problem. So all these things are not, it's not linear. It's co-contaminant, all these different forces coming together. And a lot of times it's just like a, it's like, you know, you have a, a big, uh, a big knot, right. Yeah. Of like from, of, of, of string. And if you just try to pull it apart, it's not going to pull apart. You have to find one thread and slowly pull that out, see the connection there and pull it out. It's the same with every thought. It's the same with every action. Slow and steady always wins the race. Right. Yeah. And also the realization that sometimes when you work on that one thing and you feel really good about it, you have to start focusing on this other thing you have to work on. Yeah. And then the other thing, and then the other thing. And then sometimes that first thing that you were working on comes back and you're like, Oh, Hey, old friend, let's yeah. <laughs> check this out, you know? And so I keep telling people that's why monks do this for a living. That's why they do yeah. this all day, every day, because it's a lot of work. Yeah. And we have all these other distractions, jobs, family, Mm -hmm. you know girlfriends boyfriends dogs yeah cats whatever and you you can only work at like one thing at a time we don't have the luxury of working on this stuff all day every day and right. so you know and nobody's perfect and so one of my favorite quotes from tony robbins is uh, perfection is actually a very low standard because it's unattainable right so the best, the best <laughs> you're never can, gonna reach it yeah right so the best that you can do is the best that you can do Right. You know, and, if and, you, and, and the more you do that and you don't try for the impossible, um, the more likely it is you'll reach a goal and then what seemed out of reach becomes possible. Right. Okay. And so I really, what I really appreciated uh, throughout the course of your documentary is your own struggle with your own back pain. And I thought that that was just really crucial to put in there so that everybody can see that you know pardon my french but that you're not full of shit you know what i mean is because like this stuff like works for you but it's just like everything else it doesn't work all the time you still have to put right in and it effort. works differently for every person you know it's interesting it's like you know we get out of something that we're well we're, we're willing to accept from the thing because you what's interesting is all of the film reviews of the movie um you know as you as you talked about the film is really about how our culture shames us you're yeah. having emotions. So that causes us to repress our emotions and that causes us physical pain. I mean, that's the whole, what the movie is. That's the story of the movie, right? Right. Both the New York times and the LA times reviews of the film personally shamed me for being in it and for having emotions. So the <laughs> LA times review was director hijacks his own film was the headline. Yeah. Right? And the New York times review began with director distance thyself. That's what you'll be saying when you watch this movie. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, well, what movie did they watch? And what they watched was a movie that they expected. So yeah. they thought this movie should be about this doctor and it should tell his story because this annoying, complaining, whiny dude who's a narcissist, why did he put himself in the movie? But it's because they weren't actually watching the movie. They were watching, watching to fulfill an expectation of what they expected. But the movie does what it does specifically because 
if there wasn't a personal example, right, there would be no way to relate emotionally. And, right. you know, we found this line of giving enough information to bring people in, but not so much that it didn't become reflexive of their own story. So if you went into all the details of it, then it becomes that story. And it's easy to say, oh, well, that's that person. So we, we actually spent two full years editing and 10 years shooting yeah. um, with a big break in the middle because we really felt that it had to be done in a way that it would help people. And the truth is it doesn't help everybody, right. but it does help everybody who's open to really kind of being open to what the film is saying. And because it's very metaphorical, it's rather than here, let me tell you what the facts are. It's oxygen deprivation. It's this, it's that <laughs> like none of that actually helps people. What it really right. does is get them stuck even more focusing on their symptoms. But then this goes back to this kind of cultural moment that Dr. Sarno was working in, which was where the resistance was so powerful to what he was saying, he had to give them facts and figures. Now, everyone's like, yeah, of course, you know, your, your, your emotions affect your health, but that's not me or whatever. And so what we had to do was kind of make something that really brought someone in so they could kind of connect with the character, which would be me, because Dr. Sarno actually wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to be naked. And unless you're naked, you're not really giving something away. Right. Yeah. God, that's so interesting. So then you think about like the, the women in today's society, like if they start to get emotional, then everybody's just like, oh, they're just PMSing. Right, right. And then men aren't allowed to be emotional because that shows weakness. So right. then everybody's just screwed, right? Because then nobody can, nobody's allowed to feel this emotion. But that's like, this is why we just cram all that shit down. Right. really, really deep. And it becomes a huge problem because, and then, you know, that's right. And, and so then someone has to be willing to take that risk and be naked and, and say, look, right. it's okay. And um, you know, it was a little hard at first because here, here's the thing is there are people like you who watch the movie and go, God, this is such a great tool. Right. And that is so affirming to me that that's the right course. But there's so many other people who are like, ah, I don't want to watch that. And so you were, but, but the people in power are the ones who are like, I don't want to watch that. And right. so it makes it really hard to get it to people. Right. Which is just a, a seemingly insurmountable task of, uh, and it actually documents that where, yeah. you know, there was times where it looked as though uh, Dr. Sarno was just really discouraged because he's been working at this his whole entire life and just seemingly hasn't made any progress whatsoever. And I think, um, you well, know, he hadn't made it similar. He hadn't made progress in terms of the system. But right. if you look at the reviews of his book on Amazon, there's thousands and thousands of how the book saved people's lives. Right. And so, you know, what it really points to is a problem with systems where systems are self-sustaining and are, have a very hard time looking at themselves and, and making adjustments. And so I, I'm someone who's always been super anti-system because I see them as problematic, but that means I'm always outside the system, which is also problematic for me, but I've also had to figure out how to deal with that. And so just keep on striving. <laughs> right. And so, you know, one thing that um, Joseph sports teaches us is to um, delineate between the people that are going to be accepting of the fact that this emotion is causing their pain and then ones that aren't. Right. And, and that just happens. There's some people that just come in and you're just like, well, I have this pain. So you just have to, to, to down-regulate their nervous system so that their pain goes away temporarily and you're giving them some relief because mm -hmm. it's not going to go away until they address it. But they have to right. be ready and willing and accepting of the process that's about to happen. And then there's other people that come in and are just fired up and ready to go. I had one of those clients today that just came in, laid down. I was like, this is what's going on. And she, and this is what's causing your pain. And she was totally accepting of it. And then she was, you know, walked out without pain. And I'm just, yeah. like, and that's just really, um, it's really fulfilling. That's the word right. I'm looking for. Like when they finally are just like, Oh God, that's what I was looking for. And then, right. Well, th well, that's why you're a massage therapist rather than a massagist, because really you talk about the questions you ask, cause you're, you're leading people to the space where they can make that decision for them. If you, I, I actually, it's hard. Cause sometimes doing a lot of this discussion, this talk, 
it becomes very clear what the energy is. And I can mm -hmm. reflect it back to people, but if they're not willing to hear it, I have to be very careful about how I do it. And at certain points, I can, I can be quite blunt. I would say, like, so here's what I'm getting from you, and you can take it or leave it. But I think if you take it, it will be valuable to you. And the people who have the strongest, you know, most powerful thing coming off them have the hardest time uh, hearing it. They're yes. like, no, I'm not angry at all. It's like, well, you're expressing all kinds of anger and saying you're not angry. That seems problematic to me. So where's it going? You know? Oh, man, I had, I mean, I could just think of so many uh, people that, you know, there's, there's one person in particular, I, um, as soon as I hit this one spot on her body, she just was like, just flipped the switch and was just yeah. unleashing the fury on, you know, their spouse and their kids. And yeah. this is the reason why. I don't have a life and this is the, this person doesn't help me with anything. And I'm just alone in this. And you're just like, Whoa, like <laughs> it's stored where, right here. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's where your back pain's coming from for yeah. sure. You know, it's like, it's uh, and it's just a really, you know, like I said, interesting narrative and, and, you know, I think Dr. Sarno is great at talking about it. And like yeah. I said, I think that you're, film really captures it but then going back to you know what um the reviewers say and all the critics and all this stuff it's yeah. like you know it's like when they complain about a fast and the furious movie and you're like it's a fast and the furious movie what yeah. were you expecting like yeah. i went with the full expectation to see a fast and the furious movie what were you expecting yeah like it's right. come on i enjoyed myself because i got exactly what i wanted yeah <laughs> You know, like, I don't think that it's you like were... going to a roller coaster and uh, expecting it to be Shakespeare. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's not how it works. That's yeah. not how any of this works. You know, you just gotta, it's a, God, and then 10 years. That's another thing too, where that um, a lot of people can't really wrap their head around because we're, we're full of a, a, a society of immediate spectacular results. And yeah. So, just even you talking about like the length of that, then I start to think about the determination of that and the, you know, the ups and the downs and how the emotions that are involved within that process. And, you know, thinking about times where you're like, gosh, is this even worth it? Or this is going to be really great. Or is this even going to be received? Like, let's mm -hmm. talk about that. Just kind of like that roller coaster of making this thing. Well, you know, the, that whole thing I talked about a minute ago, like making films outside of systems yeah. has taught me to be patient. So yeah. I've learned to just, you know, it'll be done when it's done. And, you know, you set goals and the years go by and you're like, yeah, yeah, I was expecting to have that. But it doesn't, you, you can't push, you, you just, you can't try to force the world to live up to the expectation you have. And if you do, you usually make something that's not as good as it could be. And it may look good and it may sound good and it may seem professional, but it may not work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of anti-professional. I mean, not, not saying like if I'm, if I'm going to work with a carpenter, I want a professional, right. you know, because you're going to do what you're going to do. But the ideas of professionalism as they relate to control over systems. Yeah. And um, so if you think about like, you know, the academic system, you know, one of the, or the, or the medical system people in power don't give up power uh, without a fight, right? Without resistance. And so if you're a student, right? Here's one of the things, things don't change very much. You're a student, you're gonna go study with a doctor and you say, oh, I have this theory that's the exact opposite of yours. Will you be my dissertation advisor? They're like, no, I think you should go find somebody else. But there is no one else because you're challenging the, the field that you're in. So any challenges to a field are not gonna happen from within the field you know, unless you have an extraordinary person who's able to navigate all those different personalities and differences. So we like to think that science is just, you know, data being, you know, cut and diced, but data is always um, communicated within the framework of a story. And it's within the framework of a narrative that fits somebody else's narrative. It, it's always the same. And so to pretend that it's different, and that's why like people will say, you know, they want me to explain Sarno in these very clear terms. It's like, your mind and your body are intimately related. The medical system went down a route of becoming very biotechnical right. and ignoring the fact or the, the, the 
the, the emotions as a factor. But we all know that they're a factor. And so if we, um, and part of the reason that happened is because we wanted to take this biotechnical science-driven approach. And it's hard to measure or quantify emotions. And so what we do is we, quote, control for them, which means we pretend they don't exist. But if they do exist and affect the outcome and we aren't counting, accounting for them, then all we're, it's like, you know, it's just, it's just insanity. Right. I mean, it's just really insanity. So the reason that we don't consider emotions largely in terms of all of this biotechnical medicine stuff is because there was no really easy way to tell that story or to quantify it. So we stopped telling that story. So people start having that narrative. And so once you try to insert that narrative, you say, well, that's not part of our story. But it is. It's right. crazy. You right. Know? It's so, so obvious as to be nuts. Yeah. And so I, you know, the more I learn, the more I realize that it's all the same stuff. And so when you look at the human in front of you, it's just a big bag of stuff. So you can't just, you can't just separate the things. Oh, well, they're having gut problems. Right, right. Because, you know, it's their gut or they're having, they're having muscle problems because of their muscle. Like, so that's a, that's actually interesting that you're talking about the industry because my industry is, has a societal narrative where there's two different types of massage. There's really relaxing massage or Mm -hmm. there's the six foot five German lady named Olga that's just crushing you with her elbow. Yeah. And those are the two different things. And so, you know, my big thing is like, understand your why. So when somebody comes up to me and is like, well, I want deep tissue. Why do you want deep tissue? Like, are you saying you want deep tissue because you think that that's the thing to say? Or do you actually want deep tissue? Because from my understanding, the muscle that you want me to work on is under threat. And so we need to figure out why it's under threat. And you don't resolve threat with more threat. That's not how this works. So we need to figure out what this thing is where it's coming from and why, and then give, give you a temporary window of relief so that we can make a longer lasting change. And so that is, you know, a long and uphill battle that I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily this podcast is helping me with these long form conversations so people can start to understand where I'm coming from and what my why is. But like, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a hard knock life out there trying to beat these systems, I'm telling you. Right. So you develop new systems and make new connections and you create new allegiances. I, I, I notice, though, that when people are trying to work outside of a system, um, they try to make connections, but because they're so wrapped up in American capitalism, they're in the, in the kind of the idea that you got to brand yourself and push yourself forward. They, they cut off some of the connections that would be helpful to them. You know, so they're 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 trying to see what they can get from the relationship and then move on rather than deepen the relationships and broaden them because they, everyone feels so alone outside the system. And so I think really what needs to happen is there needs to be more connectivity um, and, and more mutual support networks, which I think, you know, say in, in this world there are, but I'm also dealing with a lot of people who are in the system and trying to work from within the system and can't and so they don't want to make too many allegiances outside the system because then that threatens their position in the system so it's all these things where there's a lot of things that could get done but just aren't because um there's not the right kind of collaboration yeah and then that brings me back to what i said earlier we're just so weird like what are we talking what are we trying to accomplish you know what i mean like you know well you're trying to have your practice and expand it in the sense of learning things and sharing that information. So what you're talking about is it's not very self-focused. It's like, I really, you know, I like helping these people, but I really want, I want this knowledge to go out. So I'm able to help people more because they come in with more knowledge to begin with. Like that we shift the whole culture to recognize this. It's just, it's the culture is the Titanic and we're gnats trying to knock on it. You know, we're not going to turn that mother. (laughs) No. And then, uh, you know, what I'm trying to really do is, expand expand the knowledge within the industry so that i have more practitioners out there doing create that connectivity that you're talking about right better work because you know there's more people out there that need this stuff and that's why i'm you know 
really connected with like Joseph Schwartz is because this is um, the one of the things that he th said that I think is really important is you have to be really careful when you're addressing these emotions in people because sometimes that emotion needs to just be down regulated because it is a um, critical structure in who they are as a human being and it's right. the reason why they are the way they are right now and, and you can't just take it out from under them because if you do then the whole thing collapses because it's a load-bearing structure and right. so but if they're aware of it and they're, they, can, they can build new supports around it and then you can take out that load-bearing structure it doesn't all have to be on that one idea if right. they can become multifaceted they don't have to be stuck in that idea that they have to be perfect for instance so if Correct. you say well you don't have to be perfect and they're like but i do <laughs> you <know>? yeah <laughs> Boom. Right. yeah and so but then if you you know dig your elbow into that really tight muscle that's a load-bearing structure and then the whole system falls apart if the if the practitioner doesn't know what's going on or why then they just are like holy shit like what do we do you know because yeah. now there's this i can't human, move now <laughs> right now there's this human having you know not only can they not move but they're having like a complete and total emotional breakdown on the right. table right and it's important to understand that and so you know the it's a man you did good work i'm really <laughs> <laughs> i'm really proud of you for uh putting that out there um, against the system, I guess, is what I'm Yeah, That's really well, trying, it's, it's slow, it's, it slowly moves. And then, you know, yeah, just do what I can. Right. Because so, it's been out for like two years now. Yeah, so what I'm, what, one of the things that I'm trying to do right now is um, change the narrative of the fitness industry. Because right now, fitness is really based off of intensity. So like, you, only get a good workout if you're lying on the ground covered in sweat and can't breathe afterwards. Right. And I am under the impression that that's another stress response. So right. if you have somebody who is a paramedic, for example, and they're working 48 hour shifts and they're not sleeping and they're not eating well and they're not working out and they're constantly getting calls throughout that 48 hours and then they get off of work and do a high intensity workout for the whole entire time they're off of work then they're actually not recovering and then they're right. going into their next with more stress. So then that's really detrimental to them over a long period right. of time. But, you know, as it stands right now, stress doesn't sell six pack abs in six weeks sells. So right. that's like a, it's a, it's a thing that I'm really trying to work on right now. And it's, it's really difficult road and it's like, well, I think you, you, I think if, so you do do fitness training as well? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, the way to do it is to be able to do it with telling a story right. and, and getting people to, I, there's nothing wrong, I think, with doing a really hard workout because that kind of stress actually does cause your body to come back stronger. That's right. how the strength happens. But it has to be done in balance. And if we push ourselves beyond our capacity over and over and over, we're going to collapse. You right. can push yourself beyond, up to your capacity and then rest. And I think right. that's partly what you're trying to help people to do is find more balance right. in their approach to the world. And so that's the story that you, you help them see. Right. You know? and, so, and, and when that works and you start to get more people and it really works for them and they feel better in general, then they start to come and they start to bring other people. So that, that message does grow. Yeah. And so it's just, but like you said, it's a long, slow process and I have to, um, you know, listen to my own advice and say that there's not immediate spectacular results out there. I'm not just going to start this thing and then just be like, Oh, I'm a millionaire now. You know, I gotta, right. I gotta wait and, and see and just keep putting as much information out as I can and um, just be patient because eventually it'll all pay off. It does. Man. And then um, you just, yeah, we, you gave me a lot of stuff that I had to sit with for a second. <laughs> um, and so are you working on multiple projects at a time? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Um, we have a, the next film is about nature versus nurture, donor conception, adoption, how we become who we are and how we are connected and, you know, to our ancestors and to our children. That's so interesting. Uh, when does that come out? 
I have no idea. I've been working yeah. on it the same amount of time, kind of. Okay. Um, and at one point, it seemed like they'd be the same thing. But yeah, I, last year was a very, very difficult year. Um, we had a problem where we made a movie about protest and we got protested by the protesters. Um, and that was really, it was really, uh, that was very traumatic. Um, yeah. It was a difficult thing. Um, and then right after, right before that though, actually while we were finishing that, um, my mom was in the hospital with pneumonia and I, I did not think she was going to survive. She was in the emergency room and it was very bad. And I got a text from my cousin saying, Hey, I just got off the phone with your daughter. Um, Holly, do you remember you were a sperm donor? And I did remember a sperm donor. I was a sperm donor because that's why we were making this movie. But nobody had found me in the 10 years of making it. So yeah. now um, I'm in really good contact with my 26-year-old daughter, Holly, uh, who was born via sperm donation. And she's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so that's going to be interesting <laughs> as, as we make this movie. Right. Wow. And it's an evolving movie. Yeah. Last year, was, it was a, a tough year on my end as well. Like, yeah. It was the first year I've had him my life where I was like, okay, you can be done now, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> over all that. Um, yeah. But that, yeah. but the adversity actually creates pathways for growth and change. Right. And because I've been on this path, I was able to, even when um, we were really, you know, attacked for this project, I was like, I was able to say, I'm grateful for this moment because it's, um, it's really challenging me to just be here and accept what is because I can't change it. Um, right. and move through it. And that was really hard, but that actually also led me to starting a yoga practice um, last year at this, uh, in March. Yeah. And now uh, I go four or five times a week and it's, that helped me through this year. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. That's really interesting. So then, you know, cause I have always thought that uh, people need discomfort in order to be comfortable. And right. so, um, you know, in my profession, and I've said this uh, multiple times, but there's people that I have that only come and see me once a year because then they they realize that they haven't done their uncomfortable thing for the year yet. So then they yeah. start training for like that that uh, imaging uh, race in Colorado where they yeah. run like 20 miles up a mountain. And yeah. then they're like, oh, that's only five weeks away. I better sign up and start training now. And then they crush themselves for five weeks do that incredibly difficult thing and then and can't move <laughs> and then yeah can't move and can't function but then they carry on with the rest of their life because it's easier yeah. now you yeah, know yeah. so um that's also one of those things where i believe that some people if they can't if they don't have um discomfort in their lives and they create it yeah um, and you know that's and i'm not saying that nobody should do uh, very strenuous and exhausting workouts. I should, right. I, but they should I, be mindful about it. Right. You know? So like if you, thoughtful. you should take a day or two to recover from your work mm -hmm. and then start working your way up towards intensity, but then right. also preparing yourself for stress. And so right, right. it's a, it's, you know, just kind of a culmination of, you know, over a decade of coaching on my end, and then, um, you know, five and a half years of being a, a massage therapist and helping people. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of that, you know, because emotions can be, uh, can be coupled in there with stress, because that is an emotion, you know, and it's, there's just the load that we have to bear every day is just, it's crazy. And if people don't address that, like, you know, just being within the moment, like you said, of your mom being sick, um, understanding that you have a daughter, I don't know where, yeah. and then, you know, all that stuff is really difficult, but then under, like, like you said, you were being mindful of that situation, being like, okay, let's see what this is about. Yeah. Um, so, um, I compare it to, um, uh, jujitsu tournaments. So I had a friend of mine who, um, called me up one day and was like, Hey, can you help me practice takedowns for this jujitsu tournament. And I'm like, sure. When is it? And he's like, tomorrow. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't. You're not going to get good at takedowns by tomorrow. He's like, well, what if the guy takes me down? And I'm like, then you lose. <laughs> you, you deal with it then. Like, what if he chokes me? Well, if you're worried about the choke, then he's going to arm bar you. Like, well, what if, what if this, or what if that? And I'm like, you should weigh in first. Like, just do that first and then see what happens after that. 
Like, yeah. cause you might not even be in the weight class that you think you're in. Right. You know? So then, you know, like, um, jujitsu is actually a really good metaphor because you, you need to get all the information on what's happening on that moment and then react to that information instead of preemptive reaction because that yeah. preemptive reaction is what gets you into trouble. So like, you know, your mom having pneumonia, like if you get the phone call that your mom is in the hospital and you just freak out. Yeah. I knew that wasn't going to help. Right. <laughs> so right. I was in a good place for that, but they took her to the wrong, a different hospital. So I went to the yeah. wrong hospital and when I got there, I got a call from her, but she was just screaming and wasn't yeah. even holding the phone. So I got to drive for 25 minutes to the other hospital, listening to her scream, help me, help me. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. But thankfully I was able to be like, you know, I'll, I'll get there when I get there. All right. and I'll stay on the phone in case she does pick it up. So I can say, I'm here, mom. And I was talking to her, but she couldn't hear me. But right. she dropped the phone, but was just screaming. It was right. terrible. Right. And so, but that's part of, that's, yeah, that's really a really terrible situation because you're not getting any information to react to. Right. You know, so once, and, you know, in that case, you did a really good job because then once you get to the hospital, then you can go talk to a doctor or a nurse. Hey, what's happening? Well, actually, what I did was I, I knew what was up. She was in a panic. I knew I had to just get a hand on her and no one was with her. I got yeah. in there. I got a hand on her shoulder. And in 10 minutes, we got her heart rate from 162 down to 121. Right. Because you know, she was just in a panic. Right. And her heart was trying to do what it needed to do to get her away from the monster. Right. was anxiety. But, you know, once she just, I just got a hand on her, got her and just talked to her and stayed calm. I brought her to calmness. Right. 121 is not calm, but at least it was but stasis. Yeah. Yeah. Was so calm. that's what I, that's what I tell my clients. Yeah. Better is better. Yeah. Like, do you feel like better is on the way to best, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you need to um, be grateful for where you're at. Yeah. Um, because you're better than where you, than when you came in. Yeah. So, um, you know, cause like I said, we, we live in this world of like Amazon where you just, Oh, I don't have something in two days. I'm going to be yeah. really angry about it, yeah. you know? And so that's, you know, a testament to, um, your filmmaking. Like you said, yeah. you've been, you've been working on that project for 10 years. Like most people don't have a 10 year goal or plan yeah. or when's this going to be done or, you know, like it's, it's a, a uh, 10 year overnight success is what I started. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. You know what I yeah. mean? I'm 50 years old. Now all of a sudden I'm an overnight success. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, cool. That was really exciting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, um, what books are you reading right now to like, what books do you just read? I guess is the question that I'm actually, you know what I just read uh, was the Hobbit. The Hobbit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. read it cause we was sitting around and I was going on a trip, but I try not to read too many like, information books because uh i just it's i'm actually you know problem is is i work too much that's yeah. one thing i need to do less of and i'm doing better i work too much so i don't really have time for it um but speaking of which actually i have to run in one minute because i gotta okay. go to this yoga class but um okay but yeah was there anything else you wanted to no that was it that was really awesome thank you so much for the conversation i appreciate yeah. it yeah well thank you thanks for watching the movie and and getting it and spreading and, the word uh where can people find you at well, so you just go to all the rage doc, all the rage, the, you know, I'll spell them like doc.com. Yeah. You can find out about the movie and if you can, you can search for it on Amazon or iTunes or Vimeo. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Once again, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you.